Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. How many glad you came to church today? Come on, it's a good day. So happy to be back. Uh, Cheryl and I had a great time. We went to Korea, did some ministry, but our highlight was to be with our missionary partners in Thailand with Ajay and Nancy. I just love the work that they're doing. But God really uh, spoke to me while I was gone about this Sunday. And this is, um, this is what we, we call Missions Sunday. There's a reason why we have Missions Sunday. One, it reminds us that we're a part of something that was birthed from, from Jerusalem. It was birthed from Israel. And it was, it's what's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. It went around the world and it's transformed societies. It's transformed lives. It's transformed families. It's, it's, I want you to think about your life before you knew Jesus. Think about the guilt, the shame. Think about the, the, your decisions. You were, you were compelled to do what you didn't want to do, but you did it anyway. And you knew the result would be more guilt and more shame. But the gospel of Jesus Christ landed in your heart. And you were given forgiveness and cleansing from all the sin that you would ever, that you ever committed, that you ever will commit. And that's why we're here today. The gospel of Jesus Christ matters. And it matters to the world. But it's important for us as a church because we recalibrate why we do what we do. So, so many times we can become busy at doing church or busy at, at being a Christian or whatever that may be, but we forget the purity and the heart of, of Jesus who laid his life down for us and then gave the commission to the disciples to go and tell everybody else. Today is a special day. But we need to understand that today is special because of what God has done with the gospel and what he's done with the Great Commission and how he's transformed the world. It's special today because many times we can forget that actually the gospel of Jesus Christ is transforming lives. We can look around our world and we see a world that looks incredibly depraved and it's like, man, I thought things should be getting better, but it really just seems like it's getting Worse. Part of that is probably because 50 years ago, you didn't have the news you had today, nor the internet, so you didn't know what the heck was going on on the other side of the world. But the reality is, when you look around, we can easily see that the need for Jesus is still great, and it's still massive, isn't it? And that God calls his church to be a part of what it means to share the gospel and to reach the world around us. And there's many Christians today that um, maybe you could be discouraged. Maybe you're despairing or feeling hopeless or you almost feel like this gospel that Jesus came and changed people's lives. I mean, is it, is it really working? And, and you can become hopeless that actually God has a great purpose and a great plan for the world. But just so you're aware, it's so important for all of us to understand this. Hopelessness is not the narrative of God over the world. It's not. That's the narrative of the enemy because here's the power of, of our own belief. You will act out and believe what you, you will become what you believe. So if you think it's hopeless, it doesn't matter, the gospel doesn't really change anybody, and or maybe it just changes a few people, then you act like that's true. And so Jesus came to give us hope. 
And as a church today, as a, as a church, as, a, as an established body of believers, we carry the hope of the world to a dying, to a hurting, to a broken world. That without the hope of Jesus Christ, there is no destiny of heaven. There is only a destiny of hell. But the great message of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That's good news. The gospel is never bad news. It's always good news that we have fallen short. But Jesus came to die in our place. He came to give us hope. And that is the message we have been proclaiming as Christians for over 2,000 years that has transformed the world and flipped it upside down. That's what we still get to do today. Jesus is the hope of the world. He's not a hope. He's not a great idea. He's the hope and the only way and the only truth. And we... We get the great honor of, of telling other people about that. But we also have the great honor of supporting and standing with our missionaries who are all around the world. We have 40, 40 missionaries from, from 20 missionaries here today, but we, we support 40 missionaries, 40 different nations, and we are so honored to do that. And can we just thank God for our missionaries who are with us today? Really grateful. Love you all. But as believers, I believe God has a real challenging word for us today. Because what we forget sometimes is, and this is the series that we've been in, that Christ is king. That we forget that he actually is the king of both heaven and earth today. When Paul was speaking about the powers of Satan and the grip that Satan had on humanity... He says this about what Jesus has done. Colossians 2, he says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, meaning Satan, he made a public spectacle. In other words, he publicly humiliated them, triumphing over them by the cross. What Satan thought is that the cross would be the end of Jesus. But actually, it was the end of Satan's authority when Jesus died on the cross, which is good news. But what that means for us today is that the only thing that the devil has left are lies. Lies to tell you that, that somehow um, your sin is greater than the work of Christ. Or the lie that says actually the world's too hopeless to actually reach and again, you become what you believe. So if he can convince you and the world that he himself, a Satan, has not been defeated by Jesus, then you will act like that's true. And so after Jesus rose from the dead and defeated Satan, he told his disciples, and he tells us today, this is what today is all about. This is a passage we've been looking at over the last several weeks. But this is what Jesus tells his disciples. He has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. Today there is historical proof. There, today Josephus writes of the resurrection. All of this is true. He rose from the dead and this is what he tells his disciples. He says, all right, boys, all authority. Everybody say all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go. See, most people go, oh, the great commission is go tell people. No, 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 hang on, hang on. The Great Commission is fueled by the reality that Jesus has all authority on the earth right now today. 
So because of that, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Luke writes this in the book of Acts. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus, him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You see, Jesus is not the king that will one day come. He is the ruling and reigning king today. He is, he is the king that sits at the right hand of the Father, and he has been given all authority over mankind and over the earth. And so our mission under the Great Commission is not camp campaigning for Jesus to be king. It's not, it's not convincing that, that he is or getting people to vote that Jesus would be king. No, no, he is already king. He is already on the throne. We're just announcing that he's already king and he laid down his life so that you could live. That's the great commission. And because he is king, he told us, now you go and tell everyone else. Here's the great heart about God is that he never does anything alone. He always is creating a family. He's always taking people who were, who were a slave to the kingdom of darkness and he's setting them into his wonderful kingdom of light. The scripture says that it is God who sets orphans into families. God's a family man. He's always inviting us to be a part of what he is doing on the earth. And that's what today is about. We remind ourselves what God's called us to do on the earth. And so when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he tells them, and he calls them, and calls every believer today, he says, I want you to go, and I want you to tell the world about me. I want you to tell the world what I did on the cross, and I want you to, to teach them what I have taught you. Now, he also said this one thing that kind of freaks me out. He said, I want you to make disciples of nations. And you go, how in the world do we do that? Has anyone ever thought that? How in the world do we make a disciple of a nation? But Jesus said it. Now, it's not easy, but it's what we are to do. Now, that can sound very arrogant that somehow the church is called to save the world. It can sound like we're very proud, but, but listen, we're very clear. We are not Jesus. Everybody's like, yeah, I know, right? They're like, especially you, Jason. You were not Jesus. Listen, I know that. We are not Jesus, but we are a part of what the Bible calls the family of God. We are a part of this, of this incredible thing called the church. And because of that, we're a part of what God wants to do in the world. And Jesus told us to lead people to him. He told us to disciple nations and teach them what he taught us. He told us to go and save the world. And so there's a, a false belief in the psyche of, of, of some believers and some Christians that actually Jesus gave us this command, but he actually really didn't mean that we would fulfill it. It was like Jesus said, hey, go, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and, and share all these things I've taught you with them and disciple nations, but somehow under his breath he was like, yeah, but that ain't going to happen. Good luck with that one. And, and even when I say it, it's comical, but 
Many times we act like that's actually true. That Jesus told us to go do something he never intended to help us do or never intended us to be a part of doing it. It's important to understand that we don't go into the world and lay a foundation. We don't go into the world and lay a foundation of redemption for all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We don't do that. We, we don't lay that foundation. We don't pay for one sin. No, no believer has ever shed one drop of blood for the forgiveness of sin because we all needed the perfect son to die in our place. Jesus has already laid the foundation. He's already paid the price. The Bible says once and for all. He's paid the price for sin. He's paid the price for our redemption. And so we are to go and be a part and apply the redemption to the world with the power of the spirit that lives in us. And Jesus is continuing to apply his redemption on the earth today. And he's called us as the church to be a part of doing that. And there may be many who get discouraged and they think, well, I, I can't apply God's, I, God's, you know, his truth or the gospel. I don't have a platform. I can't, I, how do I apply the gospel to areas of justice or areas of society? I, I mean, I don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a following. I'm not an influencer. I don't, I don't have, I mean, I'm not cool. Like, how, how, do, how do I do this? The first place that we begin to change the world and bring the kingdom of God is inside of us. It begins with us. It begins with us coming to the stark reality that God's kingdom is not somewhere out there. It's in us. And he's called us to bring forth that kingdom on the earth. Part of the issue is the church has had a short-sighted view of what God wants to do on the earth through world missions. Because if we can't see how God can do it in my generation or while I'm alive, then we don't think it's possible. But God called us to be a part of his family and his church and I, I hope you understand this, that you and me, when we are dead and gone, the kingdom of God and his church will be moving on and still reaching more people. I hope you understand that. I hope you understand we're a part of something that is greater than you ever could imagine. And that our part in this window of time of our life, which is very, very, very small in comparison to eternity, is actually, though, we get to be a part of the church that continues after we're gone. Many of us have this, have this idea, maybe it's an American church idea or the I don't know, the, the, like the instant noodle idea that, listen, yeah, but I want it now and I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of what God's doing. And then once we, as, as maybe we, we age and we get older and we go, oh, man, I don't, I, yeah, but if I, if I can't see world revival, then, I mean, what good is it going to do me? 
Because we all want to be a part of it, which is a good thing. But what we forget is that the kingdom of God is a generational thing. The kingdom of God, when God introduces himself, he's introduced the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is about generations. And so I want to give us some things today that can give us hope and fuel us and give us some practical steps on how can we save the world and do what Jesus called us to do this Mission Sunday. Number one, we're to be patient. We're to be patient regarding the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I promise you, patience is not a strong point in my life. But we're called to be patient. Listen listen to how Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. He says it grows slowly. In Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which which, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet it grows. It's the largest of the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. Then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it all worked through the dough. See, God's kingdom is not a flash in a pan. It's, it's not, listen, it's not a, a deep fried chicken on a Sunday afternoon, which sounds really good right now. But that's not what it is. The kingdom of God, I mean, just think about over 2,000 years since the resurrection of Christ. Kingdom of God is growing slowly. It's rising slowly like, like bread or like a mustard plant. But we want it now, and we want to see it, we want to see it kick butt now. We want to see the world change now. We want to see people find hope now. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to understand that's not how the kingdom works. We can see there are times of advancement, and we'll see something happen. But it's like, hey, now what? And then we get bored, and we're like, well, I mean, if I can't see it happen, I might as well just forget it, you know. But listen, this idea that the kingdom of God, it's, it's, we want the kingdom of God to be like the, like the Marines, landing on the shores of the enemy, kicking butt and taking names. That's what we want. And then we want to sit around and celebrate. But that's not what the kingdom is like. It's constant. It's consistent. It's God's people, you and me, doing it patiently. And before you know it, it's a big deal. Before you know it, more people's lives are changed than you ever thought possible. Before you know it, your city begins to be transformed. Before you know it, the impact of the gospel begins to transform the society around you in a way that brings glory to Christ and serves those who are around us. Number two, how do we save the world? We need to be confident about our message. Matthew 7, 29 speaks about Jesus, and it says that Jesus, he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So there were teachers at the time, they said a lot of words, they said a lot of things, but it lacked the authority. 
And so we need to understand, we need to be confident in the message that God has entrusted to us. We are, we are to be people of conviction and confident with our message. We're not arrogant with our message. We're not boastful or proud. We are, we're, we're a beggar who's telling another beggar where to get bread. But we are confident. We are confident in the work of Christ and how it transformed our lives and how we've seen it transform generations and our families. But we're confident in our message. It's really interesting. We, we live in a day, it hasn't always been this way, but if, as you look at church history, there have been times where like, like teachers of the, of, of the word, and we're living in this, in this right now, what I'm about to explain. Teachers of the Bible apologize for God's word. I know it says that, and I wish it didn't, but I just, uh, and then maybe you could just give it a shot, and I don't know, talk to God about it. What are you talking about? In this book contains the words of life for humanity. That's, that's what it is. And so what some teachers, they try to kind of like dull the edge of, of God's word so, you know, hopefully it doesn't, you know, cut. Listen, we're to be confident. We need, we need to be confident that God's word is true and it's truly the only source of life for the world. And so we're not called to be revolutionaries. That's not what God's called us to be. But we are called to be patient and to know that all things will be reconciled to God. And whatever part God would have me to, to do is what, what I want to do and where I want to be at. This is really the call of God. This is how we save the world. And when we talk about saving the world, it feels overwhelming. But friends, listen, God has called us to, to we, we love the, the big picture. We love the, the, the big idea. Hey, let's you go somewhere exotic and change that whole nation. And we're like, what about our city? We're like, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't think it's possible. No, no. Jesus wants it all. And he's called us to be ambassadors for him. And so how do we do this? How do we day by day bring glory to Christ through where he puts us? This is, we're talking about evangelism. We're talking about sharing the gospel. We're talking about persuasion, having conversations with people about truth. Listen, it's not our truth. It's, it's the truth. We're, we're just sharing what the Bible says. It's about being active in the areas that God has called you to, to be active in, to bring glory to Christ, to honor him. It's about inviting people to church. It's about declaring God's word regarding the condition of a person's soul without Christ. It's about being generous and being hostile. Being, just having a heart, heart of hospitality. When it comes, when it comes up, it's about us speaking truth because it's, it is what's best for humanity. Speaking truth about sexuality. Speaking truth for the reclaiming of parents' God-given responsibility. To teach their own children about the Bible, about creation, about marriage, about God's love. We don't apologize for what God's word says. We speak it. Because it's already established. It's not our truth. We are not superior 
to truth. The only way that truth exists in the world, if there is, the only way is there has to be a superior being to declare what truth is. And, and then we honor that. That's the only way truth exists. And so that's why we have the word of God. But we speak it and we say it. And when we do, we establish the truth in the kingdom of God. We declare it and we live it out. We don't live as hypocrites. And when we do, when, we, when our actions fail to line up with our words, we repent and we say, man, I'm really sorry. I'm still being conformed to the image of Christ. We don't then claim our actions that are, that are against God's standard as our identity. No, no, we don't do that. We repent and say, Lord, can you help me? And he says, yes. I've given you the power of the Spirit to not be a slave to those things. So he delights in us and he invites us to be a part of being lights in a dark world. And when we do this, when we're faithful, when we seek him for help, when we are a part of transforming the world through world missions, we see the kingdom established and we see God glorified. And we are to teach. It says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The great commission applied to the world around us will not come without opposition. It won't. I mean, Jesus loved people. A woman who was caught in sin and adultery, he restored her dignity, he restored her honor, he restored what everyone else was rebuking her, he restored her. I mean, he healed the blind and he set the captives free and he set people who were demonically oppressed and he gave them freedom. He, he fed people with two fish and five loaves and he served them and he served them and he served them. And they crucified him. And he says, as the world hates me, they're going to hate you. So the Great Commission, when we apply it to our lives, it's, it's not going to be without opposition. For our missionaries who go into these other nations and face severe hostility, they are, when they feel the opposition, it's a reminder, oh wait, I'm doing what Jesus told me to do. And, and What's happening is exactly what he said would happen. But they stay the course and they establish the kingdom and they plant churches and they reach the orphan and they, they serve those in addiction and they preach the gospel and they are faithful. Jesus said this. He says, woe to you, in Luke 6, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets, speaking about the children of Israel. But to you, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Hey, real quick, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> nobody reads that and goes, oh, yeah, I... Thanks, Jesus. I've been already praying for my enemies and being really good to those who hate me. So, but thanks for the tips. No, Jesus is describing something that only we can do when 
The gospel of his forgiveness lands in our hearts. And now, as we do this, we're going to face opposition. But he says, woe to you when everyone speaks well to you. It's interesting that most believers today strive for everyone to speak well of them. But Jesus says, woe to you when everyone does. And so when everyone speaks well in them, they'll say, yeah, but we have a, we have a good testimony. That's, that's that would be our Christian way. Yeah, we have a good testimony because everyone's speaking well of us. But everyone speaking well of us should be the flashing caution light that somewhere we've gotten off. Now listen, people cannot speak well of you because you're a jerk. That's true. So just because... You're mean and nobody likes to be around you. It's not, you're not facing opposition because you're being like Christ. <laughs> Say amen to that, right? Okay. But when you're serving God and walking with him, speaking truth, speaking it in the manner in which his spirit calls us to do so, when we're being patient, when we're being confident, we need to understand that there's going to be opposition. And opposition does not mean that you're doing something wrong. According to Jesus, it means you're doing something right. You're establishing the kingdom. When you look back over church history, the kingdom of God was, was not brought about by those criticizing. But it was brought about by those who were being criticized. You'll never make a different, a difference unless you're different. And what I've found in my journey with God is that a lot of Christians are more concerned about what the world says about them versus what the next generation will say about them. We live in a now mindset all the time. And we as a church, as believers, on Mission Sunday, we need to rediscover and recover the confidence of our message and live within the hope of which it offers the world. We need to, we need to recover this, the confidence that God really did write a book and it really does hold the hope for individuals in the whole world. And it really is our responsibility to tell those who don't know God that he knows them and he loves them and he's paid for their sin and he wants them to receive it and that he wants them to live out the life that he's called them and created them to live out. He wants to be the one to give meaning and purpose for their life because the world or the spirit of the world or, or the enemy in our world, it, it is so eager to tell you and tell the world how they should live their life. Here, I'll tell you who you really are. I'll tell you what life is really about. But it's a lie. Only our creator who designed us can tell us how to live our lives. And it, that's the only way we can actually find satisfaction and real pleasure. So how do we save the world? Well, we need to be confident in our message. Number three, we need to be faithful to the house of God. This is probably one that is overlooked a lot by Christians. 
Because on Sundays, we love golf or skiing or whatever it may be. Nothing wrong with that. But being faithful to the house of God is where we come together. And we find something, something supernatural happens when God's people gather. There's something that happens when you're faithful to, to church that it just sets something in your heart. Because what happens Monday through Saturday flows from the fact that you were worshiping God with your other family members and you're filled up with the word of God and you're strengthened and you're being faithful to your church and the people in it. There's something powerful about the gathering of church because the cross of Jesus Christ, he's, it's the great equalizer. There's no bosses here in church. There's no, there's no employees and employers. No, we're the church. That no matter what your position is in life, we come to church. It humbles all of us because we look to the cross of Jesus and we say, it's only by your grace that I'm saved. Nothing that I've done that I should boast. And this is the power of being faithful to the house of God. But then we, we leave here and we go out to the place that God's called us. And we carry the purpose of the great commission and we labor and we work and we, we, the money we earn, we give to the house of God and we support world missions and we're a part of something that's going to outlast us. So whatever we go, wherever we go, throughout our week, whether if it's a student or a lawyer or a construction worker or a doctor or a barista or an athlete or a business owner, or politics, mother, father, daughter, son, all we do flows from the truth of God's word that we received when we gathered. The logic of God's truth that we, that we learned when we were together. The courage from God's presence that we experienced together as God's people. And then we go out and we take the great commission. This is what the body of Christ does. Hebrews 10 says this, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. When we gather, it anchors our faith. We're challenged together. We learn what it means to be a family. And we're able to go out and overcome the world and establish the kingdom of God. We're able to celebrate as our missionaries go and, and, and God uses them to transform people groups. I just, I, I, I loved being with Ajay and Nancy in Thailand, Cheryl and I had such a great time. But one of the reasons why I love them, one, because they're Ajay and Nancy and they're awesome. But the other reason is that they, they get the big picture. They understand that their life 
is going to outlive them. They understand the next generation will stand on their shoulders. And because of that, they are impacting the whole people group that is the least of all the people groups in the area that everyone looks down on. And everyone says, oh, they'll, they'll mount to nothing. Now all of a sudden they're saying, what in the world is happening in the Aka tribe within these five nations? It's because they chose to be faithful to the call of God and establish the kingdom of God where they are. Because their faith informs everything they do, just like us. Somewhere along the way, we've, we believe this lie that there's, there's sacred things we do and secular things we do. So if I'm a lawyer, oh, I, that's, that's secular. But if I'm a pastor, then that's sacred. No, that's not true. God says, whatever you, Paul says, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. What that means is you can give, you can give God glory in everything that you do with his help. That all of us have a role, all of us have a place, but it's to establish the kingdom. And number four, how do we change the world? Is be considerate of the next generation. Now there's a temptation that if we're not careful, we can fall into when we're, when we're being a part of the Great Commission, when we're giving, when we're going in our, in our generation, when we're praying, in the middle of being patient, in the middle of being confident, in the middle of our, our faith growing as part of the body, of being faithful in the house of God, if we don't see the, the fruit like we wanted to see it, if we don't see the discipling of the nations like we wanted to see it, if we don't see church growing like we wanted to see it, then we, start con then, then we just start thinking, yeah, but I, I guess, I guess what, what I'm doing doesn't matter. And, and, we, and we don't consider the next generation. We don't have a generational mindset that actually we're a part of something that will outlive us. So what we do with our resources, with our time, what we do with thinking about the next generation is we always make decisions that, are, that consider the next generation. The reality of the Great Commission is not just about churches and different nations and different cities and different places. It's not just about discipling the nations as a whole. It's about something much bigger that's going to continue and last longer than us. It's about considering the next generation. What happens is many times we, you know, we go, yeah, but, you know, Jesus is going to come back, okay? Quick question, what if he doesn't come back for 400 years? How did you invest into the next generation? How did you consider? How do we, how do we let, make sure this next generation has more impact than we do? How do we make sure that they can prosper? How do we make sure that, that they are equipped with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do we make sure we, we equip them with our own mistakes and, and we equip them with our experience? And then how do we cheer them on? And so you go and get in, instead of being like, excuse me, I, I'm, I'm still alive, so I need all the attention. How do we release them? 
The decisions we make must be considerate of the next generation. And it feels overwhelming because we, we, we see our lives within these timelines. And, but God, God is the God of generations. How do we disciple our city? Well, one way we disciple our city is we don't think it's all going to get done while we're still alive. We invest we believe. For us as a, as, a, as a church, and you've heard me share this before, we've been here for 60 years. And I don't say this to be discouraging. I say it for us to think differently. Over 60 years, we've seen the moral decline of our city. We've seen abuse go up. We've seen substance abuse go up. We've seen violence go up. We've seen divorce go up. We've seen every one of the indicators you go, well, was there a church there? Yeah, the Zars. What happened? Somehow we've lost this idea of what the Great Commission and the Church of Jesus Christ is to do. We are to be a beacon of light for the hurting and to the broken in our world. We're not to be a club. We're not to be a bubble. We're to be life-giving source to the world around us. That God would use us to change the world. And may He start right where we are. We are what's part of what's called the body of Christ, the communion of saints. And we live in the shadow of those who have gone before us. And those after us are to live in the testimonies of our faithfulness and our belief that this gospel and this kingdom is going to cover the face of the earth as the knowledge of the, of the glory of God will cover the earth like waters cover the sea, that we're going to be a part of that. And we're going to have to trust God with the next generation. We're going to have to release the next generation. We have great stories of the saints. And when you think about how do you disciple the nations, it's, you're like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, there was a lot of people in the Bible that when God said, hey, will you do this for me? They were like, I don't know. I mean, just start with the, the, the disciples, 12 of them. Like Jesus is like, hey, I want you to go into the world. They're like, okay. Where's the world? What is he talking about? What, what, is, what does the world mean? What, what does that mean? Make disciples? How are you going to make disciples? I don't know. Jesus is like, hey, I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'll be back. But I entrust you with the gospel. I mean, th these guys are like, okay, all right, cool. Jesus ascends and he disappears. And an angel has to show up and be like, um, I think you should go do what he told you to do, actually. Why are you standing here gazing? And they're like, oh, okay, all right. The task they were given was impossible. But guess why we're here today worshiping in Arvada, Colorado? Because that 12 said yes. And someone they influenced said yes. And someone they shared the gospel with said yes. And then that family was transformed and then that son or daughter went and told someone else about Jesus and established a church. We're here today because of this great commission that Jesus told the disciples. 
And they said, all right. I mean, God speaks to Abraham. He says, Abraham, come outside. I'm going to show you something. Look up. You see, you see all those stars? He's like, yeah. Yeah, your, your children are going to be as many of those as those stars. Abraham's like, okay. But God does it. And through Christ, there are billions of people. There's Gideon. Gideon has 300 men. And they overcome the Midianites with 300 men. It was ridiculous. There was a character, his name was Jehoshaphat. And so this is how he defeats their army. Uh, let's put the singers up front, and they're going to sing songs, and God's going to do something with it. I don't know. But he said yes. And the enemies were defeated. You see Moses leading the Israelites out of, the, out of Pharaoh's grip of slavery. And right, they get, out, they get out of Egypt. They're like, man, this is great. And then they come to the Red Sea. And someone's like, hey, Moses, Pharaoh has changed his mind. He's coming after us to kill us. So Moses is like, okay, God, now what? And God says, stand still and see the deliverance of God. God loves to take us to the very edge and then show off. He's just looking for someone to say yes. He's just looking for someone who can honor. Was that Brazil? <laughs> what a coincidence. And I'm so glad I didn't hit some of you over there. We would have had to have a healing service real quick, but that's okay. But I mean, God delights in taking common people like you and me and doing something crazy. He just needs someone to go, Lord, use me. He just needs dads who will say, you know what? I'm going to start honoring Christ in my home. I'm going to start loving my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm going to start reading the scriptures to my children. It takes people to say yes. Yeah, but Jason, that's so small. That's so small. Yeah, that's exactly what Jesus said. The seed, the mustard seed, start planting. This is what God calls us to do and to believe. God calls us to go to the edge. God calls us to say crazy stuff like, I believe Jesus wants glory through our city, wants glory through our state. I believe, I believe that Jesus doesn't want babies being taken from mother's wombs. I believe that. How do we do this, God? He's looking for someone who says, hey, Lord, use me. When's the last time 
you thought about your spiritual grandchildren? When's the last time about what you invest in world missions, how we see the gathering of believers, how you lead your family, decisions you make of your life? Have you thought about the impact of what that's going to have on generations to come? What can we do today that will position the next generation to continue in what Jesus said was possible? Proverbs says this, it says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You see, the, the church is to be a spiritual beachhead for the ultimate glorification of Christ. Within a city, first within a family, sorry, first within a self, then within a family, then within a city, then within a state, then within a nation. Even when I'm saying this, you go, oh, how can that happen? Just, I would say, say yes. Christ is returning, but Scripture points to each of us thinking about the long game, not the short game that just involves us, not the short game that just involves our generation. I am determined as the pastor of this church and with the elders and pastoral staff, we are going to leave the next believers who won't even know our name, a spiritual inheritance from this church. That's what we're going to do. I want my spiritual mindset to include generations. This, this can impact personally how you live your life, but it also deeply impacts how we see the call of God and the purpose for us as a church. David Livingston, and I'll, I'll end with this. He was the pioneer of modern missions. He spent a lot of his time mapping Africa and India for this purpose, so that the missionaries that would come after he was gone could locate unreached people groups. He wasn't even going to reach them. And this is what he said. Future missionaries will see conversions following every sermon. And so we prepare the way for them. We work for a glorious future for which we are not destined to see. We are only morning stars shining in the dark. But the glorious morn will break. We hold the hope of the world. This is what the Great Commission is about. It's not about me. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about our name. It's about the name of Jesus being glorified and us actually acting as though he has all authority and that we would live our lives in a way that has the next generation in mind and the nations in mind. That God would use us as a church and use our missionaries who are such beautiful servants to go to places that are dangerous. But here's the other thing. I want some of your children to go to these places that are dangerous. I want, I want you to start thinking about the next generation. I want you to think about your spiritual grand, great, 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 great grandchildren. Because when you die, you don't take your stuff with you. 
but you do get rewarded in eternity. May we as a church be nuts about the voice of God and obey Him and take risks and follow Him to the ends of the earth. And that might, may be in your job, it might be in your family. We all have different roles and what areas God calls it, but may we live from this reality that we're called to share the hope of Jesus with the world and through the actions of our life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you today for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for paying the price for our sin. And today, God, I ask you that you would put a new passion in our hearts to do what you've called us to do and to receive the power and grace to do it. Lord, also for anyone here today who does not know you and they want today, God, they recognize that you have paid the price for their sins. If that's you today and nobody's looking around and you're here and you want to receive the grace of God and be cleansed of your sin, just raise your hand just real quick right where you are. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. I want to just lead you in a prayer just to receive the gospel of Jesus. And let's all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus. I give you my life. Thank you for forgiving me. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. I put my faith in you today. And with your help and grace, will you guide me? May I be a light. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give God a hand today. <clears throat> so, every one of you, you were handed a trifold, and when you came in, let me just encourage you as you fill that out, if you're going to continue with your missions giving, you can just fill out the top part, check, going to continue. That helps us as, as we budget what we send to our missionaries. Um, if you want to give as uh, new, there are options on there that you can do that, but let's all ask God what He would have us to do. Let's all stand to our feet. Love you all, appreciate you. If you can, just lift your hands to the Lord. Would love to just pray a blessing over you today. So Father, in the name of Jesus, may you bless your people. May you strengthen them. May you lead them. May you guide them. May we receive healing today, courage and strength as we gather to worship you, to hear your word. And may we go from here into every mission field that you've called us to be. And Lord, may you bless our missionaries. Thank you for the honor of us being able to be a part of their team as they follow you into the nations of the world, both locally and abroad. Bless us today and bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer, we have a prayer team who would love to pray with you. God bless you. Love you. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.